the most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. The week began with good news for Toronto's mayor and city councillors when Premier Doug Ford announced he's cancelling retroactive funding cuts to municipalities for public health, child care and ambulance services. These cuts, according to City of Toronto staff, would have added up to nearly $180 million from the 2019 budget, which had already been set. The decision came after Mayor Tory launched an online petition against the cuts and went door to door in Toronto PC ridings to talk with residents. Libby Snymer was joined by City Councillor and Budget Committee member Mike Layton and PC MPP Stephen Lecce, who's also Parliamentary Secretary to Premier Ford. Our long-standing position, I think, remains true now, as it did yesterday and, and before we made this new announcement this morning, which is that municipal sector and municipal governments have to be part of the solution to find savings. Over 92 cents in the dollar that Ontario spends, or essentially all the monies we allocate, go to other levels of government or agencies, meaning we really don't, con- like, we control less than 10 cents to the dollar um, of spending. And so we'll, we're going to reduce our own uh, inefficiencies. We're going to du- reduce duplication. We're going to find savings for the taxpayer within the the monies we control. But an overwhelming majority go to other levels of government. So we believe they have to be part of the solution. And the premier has been meeting and listening to mayors across uh, the province of Ontario, uh, in Toronto, in Guelph, in Ottawa, having those conversations, and understands that in order to achieve the objective, additional time. Uh, would be uh, needed in order to save those services locally that matter most to the populations. And so we've been persuaded that a bit more time will still help us achieve the overarching objective, which is savings. Stephen, they've said all along they're willing to find the savings, but what they've said is that they're not consulted enough, not consulted or talked to before the fact. Do you think that the approach might change in terms of consultation? Yeah, I think consultations are, are sort of vital when it comes to the rollout of any announcement. And I think what has taken place here is going back to the fall, there were uh, discussions and there were clearly the government has intimated rather uh, not subtly that we were going to be looking to the other levels of government, including at the Association of Municipalities of Ontario at that conference in the summer. This is literally perhaps 60 days, 90 days after we were elected. We not so subtly signaled to municipal partners that savings would be uh, we need to be that they need to be part of the solution in the context of savings. Obviously, the timing of that does it apply to the current fiscal year versus future uh, fiscal years was a variable that wasn't decided. And so we've, you know, reformed how we're going to proceed with this because we want to give municipal partners that flexibility that they have needed. They've asked for that, and we've listened. But what we're signaling today with the announcement is we're providing that uh, the flexibility and the time municipalities need to get this right, to protect those services that are vital to their residents, but also to signal to cities that we're still moving forward with our expectation to them that they have to do more with less. Let's bring in Toronto Councillor Mike Layton, who is a member of the Toronto Budget Committee. Were you surprised that they backed down? The level of heat 
that the public has been able to turn up on their local MPPs, on the premier himself, uh, has been significant. And like this didn't happen out of the goodness of the premier's heart, uh, that they're now backtracking on on what was a retro unfair retroactive cut to services that help that that are there to help the most vulnerable. This is because the public turned up the heat. And yes, there were mayors and councillors involved, but for the most part. It was the parents. It was those that depend on these services. It was uh, uh, youth stepping up uh, to, to to fight for services that that will impact them. Uh, so 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 really, I think it's not in the goodness of their heart that they're now reconsidering their position on consultation. And I, it's funny to hear a member of the caucus say consultation is such a great thing, yet they didn't consult us at all about any of these potential cuts prior to just making the announcement. The one ray of hope that I see in this is that we're able as a province, as a city, to stand up and say enough is enough. You know, I was in Ford's ward, Ford's riding just last Wednesday. We were at a child care center, one of the ones that will lose, uh, lose funding. Their parents will lose subsidies as a result in a community that needs, the parents need to work, but they can't afford the expensive child care bill. And so we were there and we were handing out f- flyers and every one of them, Every one of them signed our petition. There were people stopping in the street saying, you know, I voted for Ford, but enough is enough. Don't take it out on the good people that are just trying to live a life and go back to work when they have kids. Uh, and that, that is, I think, what has made the premier change his mind on this. Uh, I think that we've made it uh, as uncomfortable as possible for any of his caucus to go out in public uh, without actually really, really feeling some of the pressure that, uh, that, 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 that some of the feeling that, that, that people have around the province about who they've decided to take their, uh, take their attack out on. That was Toronto City Councillor Mike Layton and PC MPP Stephen Lecce. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Mississauga's mayor was also pleased to learn the development from the Ford Tories that they're giving municipalities more time to find efficiencies. Bonnie Crombie joined Libby with her reaction to that news, along with an update on Mississauga's move toward becoming independent from the region of Peel. We were very pleased that the government is listening. They're listening to the mayors. We felt that there wasn't enough consultation. And, of course, we are very concerned about the retroactive nature because, as you know, two things. First of all, we're the only level of government that can't run a deficit, so we're always, our books are always balanced. And secondly, we've already, uh, we've already passed our budgets, so there's no opportunity to go back for more money to our residents until next year we're in, for next year's budget. So it was going to be very difficult situation, but I'm very pleased that they listened. Now, that's not to say that the cuts aren't very difficult for all the municipalities, all the cities, but the good news is there's more time for us to work with them on finding efficiencies elsewhere uh, and proving to them that we are well run and we're well managed and efficient as it is, and uh, maybe we could find savings somewhere else. On to the question of Mississauga divorcing Peel Region. The government is going to be voting on that sometime later. But basically, you say that you contribute a, what is it, $85 million more than you get? 
$84 million, and that's been corroborated. Uh, we originally looked at that number internally. We updated reports that we ha- we found uh, 15 years ago through the day-and-day day study, and now Ernst & Young has corroborated that number. So, Libby, from our perspective, it's just time. We're the third largest city in Ontario, the sixth in Canada. There are other regions where there are much smaller towns and municipalities, uh, and it makes sense for them to come together for, you know, uh, to pool resources for uh, large-scale public works projects. But for us, we have over-contributed to the region of Peel. We used to fund the region up to 70%. We're at 50% funding now. We have only 60% of the vote, 50%, excuse me, 60% of the funding, 50% of the vote. And when you look at it, the town of Caledon brings five councillors to the table at the region of Peel. Uh, Caledon is a population of 70,000 people. I have more people in most of my wards, and we only bring uh, 12 people to the regional table. So you can see there's an, a fundamental inequity and imbalance. The system is broken. And we've proven over the years that we're sound fiscal managers, and we want the opportunity to govern our own affairs and control our own destiny. But, well, yes, there's savings of $84 million a year, but it's more about decision-making and not to have duplication of decisions at the city, then at the region, or the duplication of costs at the city, and then again at the region in planning, in legal, in roads, uh, etc. There's so much duplication. You and I both know it intuitively that it would be more cost-effective to want, run one level of government, not two. Wouldn't it really mess up those smaller municipalities like Brampton? Uh, Patrick Brown uh, has been uh, on a tear of trying to fight against this. <laughs> Patrick, uh, sorry. Well, the city of Brampton is larger today than we were when Hazel McCallion first took on the mantle. One city, one voice. They're not much smaller than we are. And frankly, they'll have to learn to stand on their own two feet. Uh, we've transferred $74 million to them, about another 10 or $11 million to the municipality of Caledon. And it's time that $84 million is reinvested back into Mississauga and back into our own priorities so that our own residents benefit from it and our own businesses benefit benefit from that money. You know, this year we raised taxes very responsibly and and the Mayor Brampton chose to freeze taxes because he knew that there was funding coming from the city of Mississauga to support him. So it's been a long time. They talk about us contributing, talk about Brampton contributing to our infrastructure, but that's really muddied the waters because it's development charges um, that has supported the building of those types of infrastructure. And, and certainly not their budget. Uh, I'd like everyone to know that Mississauga is a well-run, uh, very cost-effective city. We're fiscally responsible, and we feel that it's time for us to manage, uh, to govern our own affairs and control our own destiny. The region of Peel is broken. We've over-contributed over the past 45 years, and we think it's an opportunity for ourselves and Brampton to stand on our own two feet and do the responsible thing um, and certainly reinvest that additional money, $84 million, a year into our own, for, for, for Mississauga's sake, into our own residents and in our own taxpayers and our own cities. That was Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie in conversation with Libby Snymer on Monday. The Ford PCs plan to make decisions on regional governments, including Peel Region, 
in late summer. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fans of the Toronto Raptors are still basking in Thursday night's Game 1 victory against the Golden State Warriors in Canada's first NBA Finals experience. It seems everyone across the country and in the GTA has joined in the excitement with public viewing areas, satellite Jurassic Parks set up in a number of cities. There are also 33 Cineplex theaters where the games are being shown free of charge. There are also NBA fans from around the world who are visiting Toronto to take in some of the action. On the day of Game 1 of the Championship Series, Libby was joined by Tony Alenis of the Ontario Restaurant Hotel and Motel Association, Brampton City Councillor Charmaine Williams, and our own Walter Rigabon of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour Sunday mornings at 9. Toronto, for the next couple of weeks, we are part of the center of the sporting universe. Uh, we are, the, the world has its eyes on Toronto. Um, we tend, we, at times, we're a hockey-centric city. Basketball is a world sport, probably second only to soccer. And everybody in the world, this is the ultimate. It's the NBA Finals, and all eyes of the world are on Toronto. It's huge, Libby. It really it is. Mm-hmm. Charmaine, okay, so we have five satellite Jurassic Parks. So you were among the first with Mississauga, but it mm. it took a bit of doing. You had to get permissions. Tell us about that. How yeah. did this come to be? So, you know, when we were getting close to um, the end of the Eastern Conference um, Championship, we... Uh, some of the council members, we kind of started putting the bug in our staff's ear to let's start working on Brampton having uh, our own Jurassic Square. And uh, But because it switched over to the NBA championships, it's the NBA you had to get permissions from. And that took a lot of work. There was many phone calls, lots of discussions back and forth from our staff um, to the representatives from the NBA and the MLSC as well. To, to get the broadcasting rights. And uh, we got the news around Tuesday. <laughs> late oh, afternoon. so it's the broadcasting rights and not the name Jurassic Square or Jurassic Park. No, it's more the broadcasting rights. We have a massive screen in our downtown Brampton core, and it's a beautiful location with, um, you know, seating. We, it's right in front of the Rose Theater that we have there. And we have lots of festivals and events. And, uh, you know, it, it's a perfect location for all of the Brenton fans to come down and just get on the Raptors. Even if you are a new fan, we don't mind bandwagoners. Okay. <laughs> sure, I, mean, I, I mean, I just like to say it's a remarkable accomplishment. Um, obviously, to, to be able to bring that event in the community to share with it and everybody to join together. And the fact that you've been able to get the NBA to uh, to approve this is a remarkable accomplishment. These are not easy rights Mm-mm. to 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 be granted. So um, my compliments, and uh, I'm sure it'll be wonderful. Yeah, and, we're and so excited. Let's bring in Tony Ellenus. What kind of a night are you expecting for your members? Well, these are amazing times we live in here. Uh, this is the sunshine we have not been seeing this year, <laughs> and and sunshine has a bearing and impact in the success of a restaurant, especially those that have patios. But this is a a buzz in the air. We all feel it. And it's not just in Toronto. It's right across Ontario in restaurants and bars watching the game. And there are new, new sport fans 
that have been recruited to enjoy basketball for many years to come. The investment here is remarkable. How many people are you expecting? I've heard numbers around four to 5,000 we can hold down there. Um, you know, if, and like I said, if, it be, if they will close roads off if they need to and, uh, you know, be monitoring the situation to make sure it's very safe. Um, but, you know, we have a potential to, to really bring in quite a few fans. But to the, because tonight's the first night, you know, we're going to be watching and seeing what the turnout is going to be. And I know as we continue on in the, the series, we're going to, it's going to grow. And are you going to tell us what it was? Sorry? Are you going to tell us what the turnout was? In oh, the absolutely. <laughs> yes, we will definitely let you know and say if there's room for more and uh, we're close off another street. Who knows? We'll, <laughs> we will grow. We and, want out everybody there to pack it in. <laughs> and Wally, what would you like to leave us with? I'd like to leave you with this. Let's enjoy the moment. Yeah. Uh, it's a remarkable, remarkable uh, time in Toronto basketball history. It means a lot. We talked to Leo Routens on the show on Sunday, and he was emotional about it because he's been there since day one, grew up in Toronto. It means a lot to a lot of people who've been part of the Toronto basketball community. Let's enjoy the moment. Let's just whip, wish the Raptors all the best, and let's hope for victory. That was Zoomer Radio's Walter Rigabon of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, Tony Alanis of the Ontario Restaurant, Hotel and Motel Association, and Brampton City Councillor Charmaine Williams. And make sure to tune in to Naz and Wally tomorrow morning at 9 here on Zoomer Radio. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Habitat for Humanity in the greater Toronto area broke ground on Tuesday for what will now be its largest York Region build. Six two-story townhome units are being built on Dalton Road in Sutton for working lower-income families. Libby was joined by one of the unit's future homeowners, Greer Atkinson, and Ian Underwood, CEO of Habitat for Humanity GTA, to talk about the program which is changing lives for the better. So many households are struggling on uh, on having a safe, decent place to raise their children. So in the York region, which is where we're building this, this project, 52% of households are spending more than 30% of their income on, uh, on shelter. And so Habitat for Humanity with this build is creating an opportunity for six working lower income families to be in a, to be build and buy their own home, uh, and be able to live in that home and pay mortgage payments to Habitat for Humanity that remain affordable and matching with their income levels. Okay, so I would imagine that you are deluged with people who want to get into this. Uh, you know, it's interesting is yes and no. Uh, the reality is because of the headlines about affordability in throughout the GTA, most of the households that Habitat for Humanity can help think that they could never own a home. So part of our work has been just getting the word out there that we have a unique uh, social enterprise model that enables working lower income families to, to some extent, take what would otherwise have been rent uh, and direct that into this partnership model that is Habitat, enabling them to have that stability of a home they own and to build equity while they are living there and raising their children. And how do you choose the families? So we have three criteria for families. Uh, uh, need, 
needs and willingness to partner. So by need, uh, these are families that are living in some combination of crowded or unaffordable or unhealthy or unsafe living conditions. So we're looking at is the need there. Uh, the second thing is means. So uh, Habitat can't help everyone. And our focus is on families who are working. So they have an income. It's a stable income. It's just not enough income to be able to uh, uh, qualify for a conventional mortgage. So we are with each of our projects, we identify what is that income level uh, that would be sufficient uh, for these homes. Uh, and then the third is willingness to partner, because as you're going to hear from Greer and you'd hear from any other Habitat family, uh, this is a partnership. Communities get involved, individuals get involved, but the hardest working partners are the families, because in addition to paying the mortgage once they move in, they need to make 500 hours of their own time available as their sweat equity down payment. So not every family is willing or able to do that. So that's another criteria is, are they up for that? Okay, let's bring in Greer Atkinson. Hi there. Hi. Tell me about yourself and your family. What kind of work do you do? Where are you living now? And and how did you uh, get onto this? Okay. So um, I work for the Ogemawatch Tribal Council, which is a um, comprised of six First Nations. Mine is one of them, Chippewas of Georgina Island, which sits right at the very top of York Region and Lake Simcoe. I found out about the Habitat for Humanity build through my community, actually. Um, leadership and uh, senior administration had learned of, of the build happening and really encouraged me to apply. And so I did. And I'm really happy I did. Um, just as Ian said, I think I, I fell into that category of people who feels like home ownership is, is unattainable. And I, you know, you feel like you maybe are not going to be successful in your application, but. And- Lots of people are, and so I encourage anybody thinking about it to look into it for sure. What's your timeline? When do you expect to be ready? What kind of the sweat equity are you, are you going to be plastering or painting or what? <laughs> I look forward to learning a lot more about building. Um, I will do um, – there's also resource. You can volunteer some time in resource for people who may not be as handy with uh, with tools and whatnot, but I really look forward to the build. Um, I know I have a lot of enthusiasm in my friend and family circles at also joining the build. Um, so I look forward to that. I look forward to um, to those bills. Actually, they they seem really exciting. Um, there's other things. So um, you know, being an ambassador for Habitat, um, telling my story, sharing my story, um, helping others, you know, to find Habitat is also considered volunteering. Habitat for Humanity future homeowner Greer Atkinson and Ian Underwood, CEO of Habitat for Humanity GTA. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Joseph in Toronto called to say he thinks the Ford PCs are in too much of a rush to push through their agenda. This is a government that's moving too fast, too quick. They've only been in power less than a year. And this is what they're finding out now. The mistakes are one after the other. And then they, they, they find that polls are down. The, the premier gets calls on his cell phone and his office. And then, of course, they call in his caucus. They call in the people closest to the premier and say, no, we have to bow down. That is not effective government. It isn't. Cynthia from Toronto called to share her experience of taking opioids and finally quitting. 
you know, the anticipation of, oh, no, one less, oh, no, one less, um, for me, it worked. Now, if you have heart conditions and things, I was sicker than a dog. I needed them at the time, and I thought I was thinking very clearly when I was on them, but now I'm thinking clearly. Not realizing that I wasn't thinking, you know, what it did to, to the brain as well. And and I was it was masking problems in my body that I didn't even realize I had that bad of problems. So now I go forward and address those things. And now Fightback's knockout call of the week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Michael in Toronto, who feels the Toronto Raptors have created so much love for the game of basketball. I believe people really tend to watch sports as they've been involved in. Myself, I'll watch tennis all day. I'll watch football, baseball, you know, stuff like that. But I was not a basketball player, so for me... Raptors, well, it's nice they're in the, the, uh, the finals, but it's, it's no big deal. That said, basketball, like soccer, it's a, it's a cheap sport. All you need is a ball and a hope, a hope to shoot it in. And um, <clears throat> we have a huge fan base in Toronto as a result of that. So it's not surprising they're so popular. It's not surprising that they're so loved. And uh, I really do wish the Raptors well. It would be great for the city. It was good for the people of Toronto. That does it for today's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of The Best of Fight Back. The Best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Michelle Saunders, Justin Eacock, and Kelly Robotham 